I was going to make a joke here about kicking wild fans out of the Pepsi Center, but instead, this week's episode is brought to you by Milan Hayduke. Here's to a great career and a great person. Sackick fakes it, takes it, scores! Joe Sackick! Wow! Good afternoon or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for January 8th, 2018. Coming up on the show, we're having a look at the season so far as the Avalanche reach the midpoint, looking ahead at what we want and expect from the rest of the season, and of course, we'll sit and giggle about Saturday night's dismantling of the Minnesota Wild on Hayduke Night by God. But before we play the whoosh, I'll introduce your disembodied voices for the week because there are actually several of them. Um, as usual, we're joined by Earl. Hey, Earl. Hi, folks. Also joining us today is the voice of Vlad. How are you? Doing great. How are you? Give y'all a moment to answer that question. And Super. That was Jackie. Hello, Jackie. Hello. And also joining us is Rudo. What's going on, Rudo? Hey, hey. On Tuesday, Avs went in overtime 3-2 over the Winnipeg Jets with goals from Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, and Eric Johnson, who had the game winner on a breakaway. Simeon Varlamov saved all 21 shots he faced, which is an issue, because he took himself out of the game with a lower body issue halfway through, and Jonathan Bernier had to face another 23 shots. Colorado only mustered 26 of their own shots on goal, but still were able to pull this one out. With Farlamov out, Andrew Hammond got the call to sport the ball cap, and Bernier has really carried the rest of the way, starting on Thursday with a 2-0 shutout of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Miko Rantanen and Matt Nieto score for the Avs, who played well in this one, though the Jackets admittedly are pretty banged up right now. And finally, on Saturday, the main event. After surprising Milan Hayduk with cut bears, Alex Tangay and Peter Forsberg, then lifting 23 to the rafters where it belongs, Avs win in a major way, 7-2 over the stupid Minnesota Wild. Carl Soderberg played his best game of the year and was rewarded with two goals, and the other five came from Gabriel Bork, Patrick Nemeth, Tyson Jost, and McKinnon and Ranton, and yet another three-point McKinnon night propelled him to 52 points, and while, yes, scoring is up all over the league this year with the slashing crackdown, Nathan McKinnon led the team by a mile last year with just 53 points. He's already there. This game also saw some hardcore tantrum throwing by Devin Dubnik, who was eventually chased, multiple outstanding hits from Nikita Zadorov, points for, like, everybody. This thing had it all. For those of us who got to go to the game, I'll shut up. Tell me how the night was for you. And I really don't care which of you go first. You take it, Vlad. Well, for me, uh, this was was a huge night for me personally. Milan Hayduk is far and away my favorite Avalanche player of all time. So it was an emotional night for me and watching that number 23 go to its rightful place was long overdue. I felt that out of all of the retirement ceremonies that the avalanche have done, the ones that I've been to, I've been to three of them. Uh, correction. I've been to four of them. Excuse me. Uh, this one, I think they nailed everything from top to bottom. They had just the right amount of, Looking back and reflection, they did the uh, they did have the nice surprise with having the amp line reunite and bring the Stanley Cup back to uh, Denver for the first time on Pepsi Center ice in almost 17 years, if you can believe that. So, just the whole ceremony was 
it was perfect. They had his junior team, uh, junior team, I'm still thinking in OHL mode, his uh, youth hockey team skate his banner out and raise it up together all as a team thing, just unif- you know, signifying just how much of a team sport that hockey is and how much respect that these kids of tomorrow have for this legend of the past. And there were some misty eyes. Full disclosure, I was one of them uh, in the building. And just being able to be there on hand and see the treatment that Milan deserved and finally got from his uh, for, for his ceremony, I, th- I thought was just truly remarkable. I was really glad to be there. As for the game itself, uh, I mentioned this in the uh, in YouTube live last night, but uh, Saturday night. Sorry, we're thinking in Monday mode. Uh, I mentioned it Saturday night that the uh, a lot of Avalanche fans were. This is the kind of response that the Avalanche should have had against Minnesota after the Game Seven loss. This is what fans wanted to see this team be capable of, and. They took the long path in getting there, but they got it. They got the 7-2 beatdown of this hated division rival. And to his credit, Devin Dubnik played up the role of public enemy number one to a T and engaged in first-class thuggery from start to finish. I got a feel for Alex Kerfa, who was, uh, you know, quite literally at the bad end of it. But the Avs wanted a villain. Dubnik played that that role of the villain perfectly, and the Avalanche made him pay, and the crowd rightfully roasted him for it. So to be there for that for exercising that demon on Milan Hayduk retirement night and seeing just how great the past was to how promising the future can be with how well this team has played on its homestand going five and one into the bye it gives us a lot of certainly gives me a lot of a lot of hope that we're starting to see some see some good things really start to come together for this young team yeah i agree with that it's it's really tough not to try to look at the symbolic things with last night coming together like that with the past, maybe finally kind of putting a, a book into it. I felt like the ceremony itself, it was really well done. Um, and I, I felt like they did it even handed. They, they didn't go so far into the nostalgia. It was just well done well enough that, that you highlighted his career, but it wasn't like just, Sometimes it just feels like it's dripping with this glory years nostalgia. And it it really kind of, like you said, kind of gave that hand to the to the youth on the team and everything. And it's it's so easy to see just then how that happened with the game, with how everyone contributed, all the young players on the ice. And then it was Minnesota. Maybe they finally slayed the dragon, even though I kind of felt like kind of the wah era psychological issue with that team I felt like hasn't been as as bad even last year and the year before but maybe that finally puts an end to 
to kind of the the issue that they had with the wild and as far as like the crowd I felt like it was it was a pretty avs tilted crowd I know sometimes the wild crowds can be there's quite a few wild fans I didn't feel it was like that last night maybe just because I didn't have anything to cheer about but um which is <laughs> <laughs> okay too not that there's anything wrong with that <laughs> but um i do feel like and maybe this is just my guess but just you know more casual fans showed up for that because it was an event because it was a special night because it had something to do with the past like there was even this woman that had a sign that said i haven't been here since wall was in the net i'm like this is something you you want to like advertise you have a sign like what's <laughs> what's the point of putting that on a sign but hey okay good for you well you saw wins so hey come back i don't know um so the crowd felt like kind of like this party atmosphere like i feel like it'd be a little bit different when it's actual playoffs more of like an intensity and this this wasn't like intense like that but it was just like everybody was just so ready to like have a great time and then the team gave them that great time so maybe that kind of bridges the gap a little bit between people that were there for the nostalgia with what's going on now and hey maybe maybe there's finally something worth supporting now <laughs> and i gotta hand it to game ops because even as well as they did with the ceremony they they kind of took a some veil thinly veiled shots at some of the wild fans that were in attendance showing some very mopey faces after some <laughs> uh some avalanche goals that was pretty That's funny like they, sh they showed him like actually leaving i think it was after like the sixth or seventh goal and they started showing like the wild fans leaving that was pretty funny too yeah can i just say a surprise appearance of the stanley cup against the wild nice. <laughs> <laughs> <That was> masterclass <laughs> And you know the wild don't doesn't the other team sometimes like go out for the ceremony? They they were not out for the ceremony. They even started their warm up before the abs were ready. It was just kind of like a in a way felt like they were just like we don't care whatsoever. They were the heel and they knew it. Yep. <laughs> and it was it was interesting to watch um distant too because that you could tell within the first two minutes that this was going to be a real special crowd it wasn't just because um things went really heavily tilted towards the avalanche it was it was loud on tv for 60 minutes there was that's like a little bit of a like in the beginning of the second things kind of settled in a little bit it was like all right we're gonna actually just kind of get down to business now instead of just going ham for the whole game but um it was it was probably the best crowd from a TV perspective in a really long time. They started doing the wave and it wasn't even like, Oh my God, it's the wave. Like it totally fit because at that point, I think they, they had the, the sixth goal, either at least the fifth or the sixth goal at that point. So it's just like, sure. Do the wave. And like the players are just like watching and going around and, and it, when they play living on a prayer and you know, they make fun of like, Hey, the white, white people love sing along the song. It, was ju it just fit perfectly because it was just like, everybody was like half drunk, having a great time, just ready to like do whatever. I'm sure what 
ever if they would play the Macarena, I bet people would have just started doing the Macarena. <laughs> but, well, not all of us got to go to the owner's lounge there. <laughs> yes. Yes, that was my Christmas gift. And yeah, it, it was a different experience for me too. My husband was with me and I usually go by myself. And yeah, we were tipsy and <laughs> it kind of, for me personally, it felt like that because, you know, he doesn't go to a lot of games and, you know, we were kind of enjoying that party atmosphere too, more than like, than me going and, and watching and, you know, intently like I do. I mean, I watched it. I was, I was sober enough to understand what's going on, but it's just, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a lot different for me too. I look at this game as the perfect gateway game to anybody who may have been skeptical about, coming back to this uh, product again to say this, this team, yeah, you, it may not have the same familiarity of names like Sackick and Forsberg, but yeah, and they went through the nuclear winter of last season. But this team can, on nights like this, really throw it down. And it may be worth a, another look for a skeptical eye. I mean, if they yeah. don't know who Nathan McKinnon is, like... They do now. Casual fans. Well, the nice thing is I think there's been a bunch of those types of gateway games lately. I mean, you look at the Islanders game or even the Toronto game, which was close. Um, you know, it's <clears throat> they're not grinding out wins. I mean, they're, they're, they're playing well and, and occasionally destroying teams, but they're also playing good teams in a fun way that's that's exciting to watch. I mean, I think anyone that's been to a game in the past few weeks, they probably are thinking twice about, you know, maybe, maybe I should go to more Avs games. I even felt like that Columbus game. I went to that one, too. And yeah. I, I've heard it was so boring on TV, but live, I didn't feel like it was that boring. I mean, it was low event, but it wasn't like, oh, my God, let's just end this. Yeah, the first half of that game was pretty dreadful. We we talked about all kinds of stuff. <laughs> it is I, nice to see. I, like, I think most of the hardcore fans knew that the Avs had the potential for these types of games in them. But finally seeing the Avs put together a string of them like in some consistency is what we weren't sure they were going to be able to do. And the scoring, too. I mean, how many times they scored six or seven goals now? Like... Three, yeah. four, or more times. Several times. There's, there's been. This isn't the first kind of gateway statement kind of game, and and people who have had kind of written the avalanche off and, and weren't paying as much attention to them probably missed it um, when they got just run out of the building in Vegas and then came back home and ran Chicago out of their own building. That that yeah. was the first statement, and that they've continued to, you know, kind of slay the dragon on uh, for teams like Minnesota and answer back when they have a clunker like they they went they went 5 and 1 on this homestand so far and the one was to Arizona like really you, you have that much of a clunker and then you come back and win 5 in a row like this this team is making statements and hopefully more people are going to start taking notice yeah i, yeah, it, I agree I mean, if if you want to go to a hockey game, I mean, if there's even a reasonable chance that the teams, you know, 
going to be shut out and you know maybe take 15 shots on goal. I mean, that's not that tempting. But you know, if there if there's a better chance that you could see a game like last night or even the Columbus game, which was a you know a nice two nothing kind of grindy game, but it you know it was interesting at, at points. Um, you're just a lot more likely to say you know this is something I could take my family to or just you know go by myself and have a good time and and you know you're gonna you know you have a decent shot at, at seeing a good game, whereas you had a zero percent chance of that last year. Exactly, they're gonna give up the first goal, call GG, and it's gonna be boring for forty five minutes. <laughs> You'll be home before the third period ends. <laughs> Well, just goals in general. I think people just want to see goals. Like, if they lose six to five, I mean, fans would prefer that over losing like three to nothing. Like, just or, or right. even if you have a ton of scoring chances. I mean, even you know, let, let's say you only score three goals, but you have like fifteen, sixteen really good, exciting scoring chances. I mean, you know that you know everyone gets up and cheers whether it's a goal or not. I mean, you know, getting a goal is nice. But it's like having that flow and that excitement, um, you know, that, that's sort of why you want to go to a live sporting event. Yeah. And, and even on the times when they do get held off the score sheet, I mean, the Nathan McKinnon line is electric every single night. We, we yeah. I, I say we, I had one ask in September and that was, please be watchable. Please be entertaining. And I think we've exceeded that. Yeah, definitely. It it does feel like it, it's just it's also so perfectly symbolic that was forty one games, so it's exact halfway point. So it does kind of feel like kind of an achievement, kind of a, a definite milestone right here. And and like you guys said, starting with that Chicago game, it's kind of like they've been building to this. Like it's not like it was just one really good night against the Wild. It was kind of like the culmination of two good months of hockey that got them to this point. Like, I remember when they came back and won that first Winnipeg game, I said, okay, this isn't last year's team because that team wouldn't have done that. And then we had when they put seven goals on Florida to end a four-game losing streak. I think that was another statement. Um, Obviously, last night was – there's been several in these last two months where – I think they've been real building blocks to get us to this point, and it really caps off the first half perfectly. Yeah, I, I think you bring up a really, really good point there. The first 30 games of the season, everything was, okay, how does this team compare to last year's team? Is this last year's team or is it not? And over this past stretch, we've kind of forgotten about last year's team. This is just who the Avalanche are now, and that's what they're going to be. Yeah, absolutely. It's not about not being last year now. I mean, it's just the comparisons now are ridiculous. They're two, what, one point away from what they were last year. McKinnon is one point away from what he had last year. It's just so far in the rearview mirror that, yeah, it's just funny. Like, everyone knew the Avs were not going to be a 48-point team again. But did that mean 60, 70, like 80? What you know, we all kind of have various expectations, but but yeah, it seems like that whole thing has been put to rest now. One of the things that's been really good about this season so far is how they've played at home. They've had a really strong home record, minus the 7-2 loss against Dallas uh, back in November. That's really the only outlier. They've never really been manhandled here at Pepsi Center. They've always had 
they've always been in it. And even when they lost, like the uh, the shootout against Tampa, uh, the six five uh, Tampa Bay uh, victory, but the losses have been close losses, and the wins have been great. They won't always be a seven two beatdown of the Wild, although I would I'd love to see that. <laughs> but the, so I guess the victories next... have been have been have been good. They've been. So they, I guess they're next... not lucking their way into victory. I mean. Why are they so good at home? Is it because they're getting the matchups they want? Is it just because, you know, t- teams should play better at home with the familiarity and everything? Like, can you guys put, put a finger on what it is that, that's making them so good at home? And it wasn't just last year. I feel like they, they haven't had been really strong at home for quite a while. It's the altitude, Kappa. Why <laughs> <laughs> made a difference? Finally made a difference. I think some of it has to do with being confident in your game overall. I mean, if you, <clears throat> I think it's tough to face your fans when you know you're not playing well. And when you are playing well, it kind of has a, a feedback effect on that. So, like um, a pride factor. Well, just, you know, if, if, you're, if, you, <laughs> if you don't think you're going to win the game, even though every athlete always thinks they're going to win every game when they step on the ice. Um, but if you don't think you're going to win, it's really tough to face your home crowd, and it just makes it that much more difficult. Um, but when you do have confidence in your game, uh, you know I, I, it's got to be just amazing to play in front of a crowd like last night. And some of it is is also just with growth within the team too. It's how much better McKinnon is. It's how much better Rantanen is. It's how much better Zadorov is. It's that Zadorov and Johnson are both on the ice at the same time, healthy. I mean, there's there's and a lot having of factors. A healthy yeah, and that too. There, there's there's a lot of factors beyond um, they're good at home because everybody's better at home. It's the the team as a whole is significantly better, and we're going to talk about how. Um, but before we get to midseason stuff, let's dive dive before we forget them again straight into our stars and scratches for the week. I nominate Nathan McKinnon. Yeah. Bold. <laughs> he just he just gets like a permanent kind of like all star. He already gets like season all star spot. Yeah, you almost don't I mean, want to put him on the list because it's like, duh, there's no conversation next. Oh, but I, I mean, he's had three goals and nine assists in this five game winning streak. I mean, that's hot. That's yeah, really good. That's crazy. <laughs> he's, I'm going to guess he's probably going to win a star this week. I haven't seen how he compares to anyone else. Obviously, there's still Sunday left. I mean, but... 12 points in five games. That's, I mean, that's <laughs> tough bad. to match. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's well... a great week in junior. And the NHL is like, <laughs> really? <laughs> he had his seventh three-point game last night, according to the Altitude graphic, which is tied for second most behind John Tavares, which who I also I, I, I don't know a whole lot about, but I think he's an okay player. I mean, I, I don't think he's terrible. He was terrible against the Avs. Ah! <laughs> so, yeah, McKinnon gets the auto win for the for stars this week. Who else do we want to throw out there? I would say Miko. Yeah, Miko's had a great yeah, week. one, right? It's not just a great week for him. It's been a great almost 40 days now. Like, yeah, he had eight points in three games this week, but also since December 1st, he's had three games where he hasn't had a point out of, like, 18 or something. I so, think he only very broke his 
broke his streak for one one game. And, and the then he had five game. points in the next two games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Miko's been fantastic, and, and he's already passed, like, Max a point short of where he was last year. Miko's already passed his last year total. Yeah, basically everything Miko does for the rest of the year is a career high, so. Yeah. And we were talking about him on the Discord earlier this afternoon, um, and it's just different. His game, like he's always had a strong, aggressive, like forechecking game, but just in the last couple of weeks, watch what he does in the neutral zone. He controls the neutral zone in a way that he never has before, and that's a real area of growth that we've seen, and it will help his whole line just elevate itself because they will have the puck more and be playing in their own zone less. Just yeah, I saw someone mention that he was really taking the puck away in, in creative ways from the opponents. And that's something we saw a little bit when he was a rookie in San Antonio. Um, but we just we, we really haven't seen that kind of, you know, I don't want to really call it a defensive strategy, but it, it is a defensive skill. Um, but he's really starting to get that now. And, I mean, he, he is a, amazingly accurate and skilled with a stick without the puck. And you know, when, when he's got that added to his game, I mean, he's, he's really going to be a complete player. It was really neat for me to be in the, uh, at the ice level in the corner last night because that's right where Miko scored the fourth goal was, was to that side of the net, and I was on, in that corner. And to see him, just the way he uses his hands – up that close was I mean you could almost tell that something was coming like both my husband and I had our cameras out at that point like trying to get good pictures of the action and stuff and you knew you knew that he was going to do something there and yeah I agree like the way he um, the way he plays around the net on the boards in the corner so it's really nice to see up close that and with him as a whole like I know we kind of maybe would I know nobody wants to break up the top line. Like, it's just the way it's going right now. You just ride it for as long as you can. But it would be nice to see him, like, carry his own line because then he could carry the puck more. He could probably be a little bit more aggressive. But like you guys said, he's kind of found a way to be aggressive in a different way. Like how he's he's playing on the boards and things like that in the neutral zone. He's finding a way to, like, to bring up the level of this game without maybe doing some of the things that he was used to with carrying the puck and things like that. And yeah, I think down the road, if you, if you get more talent in the top six that, you know, you'd start to consider maybe giving Miko, you know, not, not a second line, but sort of a second first line type duty. And the thing I really like about Miko is everything about what he's doing seems perfectly sustainable. Like, he started off the year really hot with a bunch of assists, and everyone was going, eh, you know, he probably won't keep this up. It's not going to last. We're at game 41. He's still on a point-per-game pace, and he has shown no signs of slowing down. So, And it's probably not percentage-driven either, because he's actually shooting at pretty much the same clip he shot at last year. Right. So. It's It's everything he's doing is working, but it's not working to a level of where you're like, oh man, he's just super hot. No, th- I think this is just who Miko Rantanen is. He's just this good. It's not the Alex Kerfoot 27%. It, you shoot the puck, it finds its way into the net situation. 
I, you know, I'm going to argue that the guy still finds points. He got, what was it, two last night? Or I know he's had several points in the last couple games. Yeah, just... I, don't, I don't think anyone's questioning his passing ability. I, everyone believes that's legit. But uh, you can only get so many goals to bounce in off your ass. Yeah. He, well, yeah, I mean, is he going to be 20-goal scorer this year? Maybe not, but... He gets in the right areas of the ice. He's not scared to go to the dirty areas. He's he's a tough little sucker. <laughs> he knows how to pass the puck. And I mean, he's tied with Barry in points. Like he's he's, thir- he's not he's, afraid to get attacked by the goalie either. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's the next one behind Landis Cog, McKinnon, and Rantanen is Kerfoot. Like, just think about that. He has twenty-seven points. And I would so. argue that he's pretty likely to have a, a like an above average shooting percentage for his whole career because he's not taking a shot unless it's like very obviously the best thing to do at the time. He's, he's the really, Tangay effect. Yeah, he's gonna have like a Tangay level shooting percentage because if the net's not gaping open, he's not shooting at it. So. Which is okay because he does better than us. We all thought he should have. Shot the puck, and then oh, here's Debeth backdoor. Exactly. Here's the goal. <laughs> He's the only person watching that whole game that was like, "Nope, I know better." Shoot guy I feel like he can make Patrick Nemeth into out. a scorer. Yeah, that's the bar of eliteness on the Avalanche. <laughs> Nemeth has three goals. Who has created those? <laughs> AJ Greer's one. <laughs> and then I think the final. Uh... Final star goes to Jonathan Bernier for really holding down the line with uh, Simeon Barlamov out with uh, with uh, we don't exactly know muscle problem. Yeah, he's been good, and I think it helps him to play consistently. Yeah, I've been little down on Bernier all year long, and just this just this last stretch, his last few games, he's had a save percentage like over nine fifty, and it's brought his season number. Back up into respectability. He's back at a nine oh nine. So, yeah, he and Varley's numbers are almost identical at this point. But just a week ago, it was not the, yep. not the case. So he, he can have a start for this week for sure. I would like to give honorable mention to Soderberg. Yes, sure. He, he I'll earned agree. star last night. I, I forget what game he was, but I thought he played the best game of his career. Was it the Winnipeg game? I. It's been so many games I can't remember. I, I think it was that one. Where yeah, I he should have been better against Minnesota, but sure. First star. He's he's turned he's maybe not scoring at overall it may be what we would hoped, but I think he's been playing really, really well. I think he's scoring just fine in the role he's be, he's been given. He might be overpaid for that role, but that's a different story. Right now, the Avs lack of depth scoring has been their biggest inconsistency through most of the season. And Soderbergh has been the answer to that. Soderbergh and uh, with, with a little bit of help from Blake Como at times too. Yeah, Soderbergh's line as a whole, Como and Nieto have both been chipping in. Nieto, master of the empty net goal a little bit, but he's got a decent amount of points. Yeah. I think at this point they should try Soderberg as like a more of a second line, more scoring line. But I know the role they're on right now. It's it's hard to say they should do anything significantly different. But I think I think we will see that 
secondary scoring inconsistency come back and they might want to try a few different things, but I'm sure we'll cross that bridge when it comes. Yeah, when you get JT Conference, Van Ghetto back, you're going to have to make some kind of changes. Um, but let's look at if there's if we can find three uh, three things to be down on from this week. Do we have three scratches to look for? I know the low-hanging fruit is like the worst defenseman every week. And that, <laughs> I would say that's Lindholm. It's pretty, yeah, that's the easy one this week, I'd say. Yeah, that's the... Okay. And it's not that he's particularly terrible. Like, he's okay as a defensive defenseman on the bottom pairing. But when you look at the ability to possess the puck from everyone else on the Avs defensive core, except maybe sometimes Nemeth, Gerard can drive possession. Johnson can drive possession. We're learning that Zadorov can drive possession. Lindholm can't. And in fact, he drags those guys down when it comes to possession. Badly. Like, it's not even kinda. It's badly. Can we, can we think of two other names to add to this list? I'll go with Yakupov. Um, I, I, I was thinking that too. Yeah, he's still the square peg. I mean, it's you know he whatever he's doing. Like the fourth line has been terrible possession wise the past couple of games, and I think they really actually had a, a good game last night by the eye test. Um, you know, they they didn't have any really dangerous chances against or anything like that. But it just it seems to me that something on that line isn't working. I don't think it's Kerfoot. I think Greer was actually playing pretty well. Definitely last night, he might have not been that great the, the game before against Columbus, but um, it just seems like Yakupov being, you know, it's sort of in, in the wrong kind of role for him um, really makes that, that line hard to give a lot of minutes to, and, and, they, and they probably need someone a little different, and they could be pretty effective. Yeah, it's it's not that he's terrible if you just isolate him, but but yeah, it's kind of it seems they're the whole team's kind of starting to play a certain way, gelling a certain way, and the further they move towards that, it feels like the further away from Yakupov they're moving. Yeah, I mean, it it se- he seems to be less and less relevant as as games go by, and I, I think this the past five games sort of showed that. I mean, you know, he he had a couple points in there, I think. But let's, let's ask but this I, question then. Would you rather have Yakupov or AJ Greer in the lineup? Greer easily. Yep. Yeah, I think he's ready to play. Now. I'm biased, but still, I, I think that's yeah. a better call. <laughs> but I think he's ready to play now, and I think once he gets used to it and improves, he fits the style the Avs want to play. He can give something that the others don't have. You know that the agitator, the physicality. He's a good four checker. That fits exactly what they want to do. Like I would even argue at this point, Bork has looked better than Yakupov. Yeah, definitely. And it's like someone it's said the- during the game last night, I don't know what Yak's doing, but he's sure doing it hard. <laughs> and, and right, that's true. It, it's, it's not effort. It, it's just who he is. It's like, if you look at just, just him, you wouldn't say he's playing terrible. It's just, it's Yakupov, and it just, it's not fitting this team. It's hard to play yeah. hockey when bees are swarming you. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you look at sort of Tyson Jost has really looked like he's belonged for the past, you know, four or five games and, and perhaps before that too. And I think a lot of that has been because, uh, first of all, Colin Wilson is, is a great complementary talent for what he can do as far as Wilson will go into the corners and he will dig out pucks. Wilson's also really good at entering the zone. And I, I think Greer could be that guy for Kerfoot. Um, you know, he's obviously not at Wilson's level, but I, I think he could get there fairly quickly. Yeah, I could see that. Or even Greer, Wilson, and one of the two, I think would help them. I, I think Jost has helped with having like a grinder, but it has to be skilled enough. Like when he's, if he's giving passes to guys and just nothing happens, that's not helpful. But hell, even, even Bork gelled into whatever it was that line was but it's it worked yeah they i mean that line had six points between them last night i mean that's that's amazing stuff when you think about who's on it and how much (laughs) you know we didn't like any of their games as much as a month and a half ago right and who who would have thought that like jost and and those kind of players but but it all works because i in that columbus game when jost was with nieto and Como, I thought they had a really good shift, and maybe it was one shift, but it that thing lasted like at least a minute, and it was just I think that maybe it was another like yeah, Jost works with these kind of grinders for some reason. <laughs> the thing with Jost is his board work is fantastic. He is in the NHL because of his board work at this point, basically, as opposed to being in the WJC or sent to juniors or whatever you wanted to talk about. What he does on the boards is kind of the new age grinder, I've been calling it. Not only can you work hard in the corners and win puck battles, but you got to have the skill, and Jost has that. Yeah, his down low game is really good. That's, that's going to be one of his calling cards, and I think shot generation is going to be as well. And I, th- I think the reason he works well with, you know, with, with the grinders, like we're saying, is that you know, he's 19. Um, I, I think two years from now, that won't necessarily be the case. I, th- I think it'll work fine with highly skilled players, but I think just, you know, just getting used to the league, um, you know, putting him with, with other young players maybe wasn't the right call. I mean, I, I you know, we all like the roommate roommate line or the idea of it anyway, but it didn't really work. I think putting him with, with guys that <clears throat> maybe aren't that skilled, but are responsible and can retrieve the puck and, and sort of keep it in play for the line are sort of what he needs right now. And I, I think that's really made him shine for the past couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, I can see that they're creating space for him, which is, he just needs just a little, you know, just a, an inch more space. And it's just like his effectiveness goes way up. But But it is neat that it's not just dying out there it's it's actually leading to creating things well that's only two scratches that we were able to come up with but i mean the avalanche did win three out of three games which if you listen to the burgundy radio podcast you would have heard predicted last week ahem got him (laughs) i guess we can just say we can scratch injuries the other scratch transcends teams, <laughs> and Dubnik gets a scratch from the Avalanche. There you go. Scratch I'd Hammond like to nominate Devin Dubnik for honorable mention for scratch. <laughs> can, we, can we scratch the Rampage? That <laughs> <laughs> All of them. 
But we're halfway through the year. The Avalanche ended the night last night in a playoff spot. Um, as we as we look at their underlying stuff, I mean, you still see um, possession a little bit under 50%, but it's been improving. And as you look at, like, rolling averages, you see that most of that happened during the couple of weeks of AHL schedule where they wouldn't play all week and then they'd play three and four. Um, that's where they really had their worst stretch in terms of, like, underlying numbers. Um, well, I already, well, I already mentioned that, that Bernier's save percentage is back up to a respectable point before before this week. It was under 900. Shooting percentage is on the elevated side, 9%, 5v5. I'm going to work something up about how much that really is in overperformance and how much it is high-percentage shooters taking the shots. But there's there is for sure some shooting the lights out going on. Um, we see a lot of, even just beyond numbers things, we're seeing things differently on the ice, too. We're seeing the way that they play the game is significantly different, um, especially their neutral zone game and stuff. So I guess this is just kind of a... a Big topic, a big question. Um, do you think that the, the Avalanche are going to be able to maintain this playoff position? Do you think that you want them to do that? Is a first-round playoff exit probably worth losing the draft position? What do you want the team to do with the rest of the season? I really struggle with this because yeah. I really do think having, you know, even, even if they lose in... in four or five games in the first round. I think that experience will help when it really matters, hopefully next year, or definitely the year after. Um, but, you know, it's like the, where you pick when you make the playoffs doesn't, you know, does, doesn't get you a really impact style player. Um, but I think at this point, they can't get bad enough, uh, even if they don't make the playoffs, to get a really high pick unless they win the lottery. So, um, it's it's really t- I I think I, I think I'd rather just see them play well and and they end up picking where they end up picking. And you know I don't think they'll make the playoffs. That was part of my they'll get six points this week prediction, but they'll blow the playoff spot. Um, and that's just because their schedule is not going to be easy. They have to play so many Western Conference teams in the second half, and none of them are easy games. Basically. And that's okay. And even if they do make the playoffs, I'm not very concerned about picking five spots later or anything like that. The only thing we need to see from the Avalanche is they need to sell at the trade deadline. I don't care if they're in a playoff spot. They need to get more assets. Yeah, that's that's a big part of where I am. Like, I don't think there's a huge difference between like a, picking 11th and 17th in the draft. I mean, there is, but... Not really. I mean, I don't that that's the part that's not gonna like make or break the course of the organization. It's it's one, it's getting just getting more picks, getting more assets, you know, fixing the development systems part of that, but you know, that's like a whole podcast into itself. And um so I'm not so worried about the draft position. I mean, I agree it'd be nice to win the lottery, but at this point it would just be lucking out and winning it. So I mean that's whatever. But, like, progress is good and everything, but 
I do worry a little bit about getting ahead of themselves like they did in the miracle year. And, and not because I think they're going to buy a bunch of veterans or do anything like that. Like I think Sackick has an actual vision, but I, th- I think getting a little ahead of yourself is dangerous. Like I, I want to see consistent progress. Like I would take 80 points this year if there was 90 points next year. And so on and so on. And of course, you know, sports isn't perfect like that, but they need to kind of progress and to grow and to, you know, once they leave a certain stage to not go back. And I think if they shoot up again and maybe they have a really good run and they make the playoffs, you know, it's not good for them to do it in this manner where they're young, you know, everything's fresh. They're kind of going on momentum, you know, I'd rather see them build their way there. Like I would take next year being a first round exit team so much more than this year being a first round exit team. If that makes any sense. And one thing you have to look at is, you know, when you're transitioning from picking in the, in the top 10 every year to being a playoff team or close to it, um, your, your draft strategy has to change. You, you, you can't, run on quality which is what the avalanche's philosophy has been for years you have to go on quantity and and to do that you really do have to sell at the deadline and you have to get more assets you've got to have you know you can't have six picks if you're just if none of them are going to be in the top 10 you've got to have you know eight picks or nine picks and um you know you, you need to have that infusion of talent and uh, the quantity of it, just so you'll hit on something, because you're not going to get the guarantee from having your top ten pick. And right, like Saint, like I Saint hope Louis. they realize that. Like you know, Saint that, Louis, that they haven't had top ten picks, but they've picked twice. You know, they've 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 had a lot of higher picks. Yeah, you look at like what St. Louis does with their picks, or even Tampa. Um, you, you know the. Their strategy hinges on quantity because they know they're not going to be picking, you know, a high impact forward or defenseman every year. Yeah, so they load up on like top 100 or top 50 picks. And yeah, yeah, I think that's something that Avs really, really need to do the next few years. And they'll, of course, be helped a little bit with the Duchesne trade, but you can't just refill your draft stock with selling a core player like it helps but that's not the only time you do it right you have to get you know some some top 100 pickage for you know blake como this year right Right. it's all about getting value right blake como mark barbario there's a real good chance if we don't move them that they just walk away from the team at the end of the year so you either get something for them or you get nothing for them that's it's as simple as that doesn't and I don't think year on his deal? No. no. Okay. Wilson no. does, but Okay. And I don't think it undermines what they're trying to do. I I think if you you sell one or two guys, it's not going to say to the team, "We don't believe in you. You know, this isn't real." It doesn't say to the fans, "We don't care about the playoffs." You know, this or that. Like, we're talking about one or two If these guys were so important to the team, they'd already be extended, right? <laughs> yeah, that too. Well, I think one of the e- one of the easy ways to sell it to the fans is when you get rid of Blake Pomo and you have 
you know, Kamenev to come take his spot or something like that. When you have right, a replacement that's internal already, um, then you can just say, look, you know, Blake Como has been a great player for us and he's helped us get where, he, where we are right now. But, you know, we, we need the room for this guy and he's ready to take over. Um, right, like, it's time to take that next step as an organization. Yes. That, that's, yeah. I agree with that angle that, that you just said, Vlad, 100%. It's not about we want to make the playoffs. It's about we want to be consistently one of the best teams in the National Hockey League. Yeah, absolutely. And and if you're you're getting Greer playoff experience, for example, because you sold Como, that's not that like that helps you down the line. Yeah. And that's honestly like I I know Barbario screams deadline sale, but I'm not sure there's someone that can take his spot. So I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't get moved. But um I I think I, I think when you do sell someone you really have to have something in place that's going to be at least close to what that guy can do as far as a role. I mean, they can play um, Sam more. <laughs> yeah, I, they already have the pieces on the team to move Barbario into a third-pairing role, and if you look at it that way, why not throw yeah. Big Raw or Miranov or Lindholm into a bit of a bigger right, third-pairing role? And, and when Barry comes back, it's going to be a lot easier to say, all right, we, we really don't need Mark Barbario. You know, it's like we're saying that right now. Like you kind of need Mark Barbario right now with Barry out. Yeah, um, but she probably won't. You know, hopefully Barry will be back in his four to six week timeline, like they said before the deadline, and and you know that will show that you know Barb's is a great guy, but you know we have replacements internally that can take his minutes and his role, and and we'll be fine. And I I think this leads to a, a question that I think. It's been lingering and and maybe a little hard to ask, but are they missing Tyson Berry right now? I mean, it's a little recency bias, but well, I mean, of not, not in the last five games they haven't. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, it's so easy to say that when they're winning, but yeah. you can also look at they've been playing a pretty balanced game. They've, you know, the, some analytics suggest that they've been playing well and. I mean, yes, of course, we know Barry has had a long NHL career. He's put up a lot of points. It's not like saying, oh, that guy's trash or whatever. You know, of course, like, he makes a difference. But does he make a difference enough when you've got Gerard filling in his shoes in a certain way, when you have Zadorov, when you have Barbario? You know, what are you – across the board, what are, you, are they really missing without Barry there? Well, all right, we need we need the staff to recognize that maybe they have i bet you know they they probably have whether they can sell it to themselves like hey you know what we really don't need tyson berry all that much at least for these five games we don't seem to have um but let's throw this out here would you keep barbario and sell berry at the deadline then i mean it obviously depends what the offer is like well i mean if it, if you're going to trade him it's going to be good Right, like I at this point, would I just trade Barry for some draft picks? Probably not. We need but, a top. You need a top six right winger coming back for Barry. End of story. Yeah, right, that's, but, that's yeah. where the hurt is. Is winger depth. But if that's on the table, yeah, I would take it. And it, it's not because I, you know, don't value Barry's game, or because I think Gerard is just as good as Barry, or because I think McCarr is going to be Barry next year, or anything crazy like that. I just think, in a way, I. Th- I think they all kind of fill his shoes 
I think they play better kind of without him, but I, it's, yeah, it's just because down the, if, if the value and the offers there now, why wait, I guess maybe like, I know some people would say, well, just wait, like you don't have to do it right now. But then I, I would kind of say, what are you waiting for? Really? I, I'm a little bit on the wait train and I mean, if the offer is ridiculous, then you take it, but selling Barry now seems like I, I get it, but it seems a little bit too early. Like, let's say we sell Barry and then Makar gets Joey Hishant and is out for years with a concussion. All of a sudden, what used to be a stacked decor that we have coming up is now, okay, well, we have to figure something out to replace Barry. Well, well, for me, it's not because of Makar. I mean, sure. No, and, and I, I get what you're saying. I agree that the team has done a very good job spreading around the offense since Barry has gotten out, but it still doesn't bring that one defensive threat that the other team is very keenly aware of whether whatever you think of Barry, other teams have been quoted as saying that Barry is one of the scariest defensemen in the league and he backs it up with points. So having a piece like that is always a good thing. But that could be Gerard. I mean, I know it's not just about Gerard because he's not there yet, but it just depends on the offer. I mean, it's so hypothetical it, it, because they're who knows what, right. what it would like, be. But. Yeah, if someone comes up to me tomorrow and is like, hey, we'll give you Taylor Hall for Tyson Perry, you'd slap it down <laughs> and you're done. <laughs> <laughs> and, and no, I, I'm not like hoping they move him at the deadline or anything like that. But I think right now is, I guess what I'm just saying is I think it's time to start having that conversation and that thought. Like, yeah, you can't really I, I do say think that trade is inevitable. I'll put it that way. Him. And no one can really say what they're missing without him. Like, and I obviously want to see a few losses and to see how we feel then. You know, where you're like, wow, we, we really felt him missing at this and that point. But I, at this point, I don't even think anyone can really say what they are missing. Well, I mean, look what the power play's done with him gone. The power play is now seventh in the league. And... You know that that's just weird that the power play gets better now that it, with him gone. Haven't they um, gone something like thirty percent? I, I don't know if that's over the whole home stand or over the five games. And and yeah, yeah I Gerard, mean, last night they went three for four, and that you know that, that jacks him up big time. That got him from like fifteenth to seventh. But yeah, um, I mean, we could Gerard, have a whole conversation about how Barry shouldn't be a quarterback in the power play, but. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean that's you know that's theoretically his role in the staff's minds, I'm sure. So, you know, you've got to show that in multiple facets of the game that without Tyson Berry, you're not going to lose much. And you know, I think the power play, you know, having some big games here has shown that you know, all right, it, it has to be repeatable over the next month that he's gone too, but. You know, if the power play is still top 10 at the end of January and the team's been on several winning streaks and stuff like that, you you just kind of have to come to the conclusion that, you know, it, it maybe it's a coincidence, but it sure seems like this team plays better without Tyson Berry. Yeah, is, Gerard getting five points in five games is, is, is a nice start for sure. Yeah. Um, 
This is definitely not a conversation, by the Trade way. Barry uh, podcast. What? <laughs> Did this become the Trade Barry podcast? <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> <laughs> this is not 24 a conversation hours. about um, whether the team should keep Tyson Barry because they have other good defensemen, by the way. I'll make that clear. Because I, I am pretty much nowhere near ready to trade Tyson Berry. I want to make that clear, too. Um, but it, we're, we're not saying that, oh, we have more good defensemen coming, so we need to get rid of the good defensemen that we have to make room for them and get assets. That, that's, that's not the conversation here. No. no the, that's the not what I'm saying. The conversation here is like, Tyson Berry is going to be up for a contract before that much longer. Um, he plays the game in a very particular way that helps the team a lot, but also has a lot of room for improvement, and there may be more players in the system who can play the game in the same way with less of the downside. I think this conversation becomes more of a reality when it becomes just like mind-numbingly clear that Sam Gerrard is ready to fill in that role. Um... Because he does what Tyson Berry does better. Um, he does he do it better yet? That, that's another. You know, um, just, but when it's when that's the reality that we live in, and you have a couple of other younger defensemen who are NHL players, um, like your Makars, like your Timminses, um, then sure, then we can have this conversation. I just I think that we need to not shut it down anymore. I don't think Barry is an untouchable player in this organization anymore, but is it time yet? Not for me. Right. I, I agree. I, it's hard not to see a clock on Barry's time here. It's just the alarm isn't going off yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, someone, I agree someone would have to drive a dump truckload full of prospects and players up on your front lawn to get, you know, the interest there in the middle of this season. It would have to but, be a uh, deal where, where that requires a Bob McKenzie tweet that says the deal is one for one. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't put it quite at that, but I, I'm not at like, oh, just get picks for Barry. I think for me, I totally agree with everything you just said. It just I also see it as kind of could you use the value in a different way that helps now? So that gets into one for one, but if it's a couple good pieces. That's a thought. Not just straight what it, up. Pick. What if it's a Duchesne trade where you get a Sam Gerrard as a, you know, a right wing? Right. And then you get a first and you get all kinds of other stuff on top of it. I would think about it. I mean, that yeah. trade gets into a whole nother conversation of, do we want to take on all these more assets? And now we're starting to get blocked up of, okay, now we need to get these new guys in. Now we need to get Greer in. Now we need to get Kamenev in. Or do we want to just take a solid one piece that we can throw into the top six and then our accessory younger pieces can get time in the middle six or bottom six? I, I think long term, I, I, I don't think another Duchesne deal or something close to that. Obviously, you're, you're not going to flee someone that bad twice in one year, but well, maybe you could. But, um, you know, I, I think there's capacity in, you know, both <clears throat> the development system uh, and on the Avs themselves to absorb, you know, another multiplayer deal. As long as there's something like Sam Gerrard there that can help with scoring, and you know, preferably on the right wing. Right. Well, I agree. It's 
just currently, again, it brings us back to the point of having to move out players like Como and so on. Yeah. Yeah, and, and other teams don't necessarily... You, you just want to have a stable of, like, everything, so then you're not so tied to, like, this guy has to work out or that guy or... Yeah. You know, you, you want to keep it rolling. Like, we're going to graduate a lot of these guys. Like, there needs to be a next wave, and you're always going to need players. Like, some will get too expensive, some won't work out, some will get injured. You just, you got to keep it going. So I don't worry so much about, like, what the heck are we going to do with this guy? Like, where's he going to play? Because I feel like have your best players make the team and then kind of decide what you're going to do. Because it's not like they have any idea what they're doing with half of the young guys they have now anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And it gets to a point which is something the Evs have seemingly never had. And if you have a surplus of young talent, you can move those pieces for a nice piece to make a playoff run. Yeah, exactly. Or exactly. to bomb yourself out of the competition if you're Ottawa, but, you know. Womp womp. Yeah, I mean, young players are the currency of the NHL right now. I mean, if you have too much talent, you've got problems that everybody would love to have. Yeah, um, exactly. And if you have an AHL team that's so stacked that it's, you know, it's like Manitoba right now, um, you know, things are looking up. Yeah. But so who do we re- realistically expect the team to move around the trade deadline? I mean, Blake Como is an obvious choice. Um, Mark Barbario, a, a, I think, a, a clear second. Who else would be on, on that block? Because another name mm-hmm. I see thrown around often is Yak, and I think that's a little bit of a pipe dream. Yeah, right. You have to do it, something it, with him. I mean, he's just not... He's not doing anything for the team really right now, and he 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 might be actively hurting it. You let him sit on the roster, and then in April you let him walk. I think that's what you do with him. If you can get something yeah. for him, awesome. But I, if someone had the desire for for Yak, they would have given him more than a six hundred k contract over the summer. That's how I feel about it. I don't. Yeah, think I mean the out. roster spot. Even if he's not playing, it's it's a you know it's a block to somebody who could be up. You know, let's say Toninato. Um. <clears throat> you know, it's not great to have Toninato sitting all the time, but, it, you know, if Yak's sitting all the time and you can't call someone up to just be the 13th or 14th uh, forward, you know, that that's sort of a problem you don't want. I, I could definitely see the motivation from the Av side. Just the pipe dream part is, is someone out there really saying, like, yeah, we, we want to add this to our our playoff run. Like to right. me, I always say the deadlines about reputation, like GMs know what they're getting, know what they're going to do with these guys, know that they're going to help. So to me, like the, the most desirable assets at the deadline are those that have a good reputation, like Como. I think Nieto for me, I, I think he has a good reputation around yep, the league I as, agree. as someone that's a solid fourth liner. They know exactly what they're going to get out of him. We can sell us can sell us seven goals as not three empty netters. Guy in a hat trick, you know. It, what California team playoffs? That's like town money <laughs> for some team, and he's cheap. And and I think he's somewhat easily replaceable for the Avs. Like I could understand, you know, the Como, the Vet, blah blah blah, you know. I could see them clutch to him and say, well, if we don't get a second, then we'll just keep Como. But, like, Nieto, he's good, and 
but would you really miss him? If nope. you could replace you could replace him with what they have internally. And I could see the abs actually even feel like, well, we like Nieto, but I mean like we could live without him easily. And the others like Wilson and Soderberg, there's probably interest, but then the contract come comes into the question. I still I don't see somebody going out and wanting to pay Wilson four million dollars next year. I can totally see that the scouts look at him and say, this guy has a great reputation, he's a great forechecker, blah, blah, blah. But then when they sell it to the guy that works with the cap and is like, $4 million? Really? <laughs> I mean, we could retain on Wilson, but I do For think what, I mean, it's, it's much more realistic that Wilson gets moved in the 2019 deadline. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean... Just, it, if you're if you're turning Wilson from a fifth into a third, you know, I just I don't see retaining being the solution there. I mean, you may as well just buy him out if you don't want him, or just keep him. Yeah, <clears throat> and I mean, we're if we move Como and Nieto, I think that's like baseline. I would be happy because then we can get Greer in on the regular and we can get Kamenev or Tony Nada, one of the two in on the regular. And then as a bonus, if we can move one of Yak or Wilson or something to get both Kamenev and Tony Nato in, then we'd really be where I'd like to be. Yeah, I mean, I think getting rid of Yak, you're not doing it for assets. You're, I mean, you're, you'd take a 2027 form. You know, you're, you're just doing <laughs> yeah. it to get rid of the, you know, not the contract, but the, the, the roster, roster space. Yeah, yeah get, take future Yeah, you're just getting it back here, yeah. I mean, my line is either two moves or one top 100 pick. I mean, I, I just... I mean, Why not both? La- well, <laughs> sure, I, I'd love five moves. But, I mean, considering that they're playing well, which probably might lead to lower motivation, you know, which sucks because then the players are seen as better, but then the abs are probably less motivated. And just it's just hard to make a deal. I mean, like you see out there, hey, this guy moved for a second, but I mean, like how many guys didn't move that could have for a second? Like I just I don't see it as that easy. So and if they even bring in one top one hundred pick, I'll call the success. And it does come down to a little bit, you know, we'll never know. We're not in the Avs front office, but how does Sackick operate? Is he really trying to sell these guys? Are the people who get moved, are they just better car salesmen or what? I think, that's, I really do think there's something to that. Because you, everyone has the same thing. And, and they might have some guys that are cheaper. They might have some guys that are, have a better reputation. You, it's all the same. Nobody has anything mind-blowing out there. So you're all selling the same type of players. And it's a matter of getting another GM to pull the trigger. I, I mean, I think honestly, when you're when you're in deals like this, it's it's sort of like GM of other team comes up to you and says, "Hey, we'd like to we, we'd like to acquire Blake Como, and we'll give you this." And Sakic says, "Well, we we we're looking for this kind of, and you know, if it's too far apart, it's too far apart. There's nothing you can do about that." But but if there's you know, Sure, if it's like no way, then then you move on. But I think there's a lot of maybes. Or a well, lot I, of I think it's more like actually. if Joe can say, well, you know, GM of other other team offered me this and we didn't take it. You know, that that's where you start to move 
as far as you know getting higher picks and stuff like that. There has to be competition for what you have. And there also has to be willingness to do it. I mean, if you just you you just have a high price on all your guys, you're like, sure, I'll I'll do it if you give me a second or a third. And the other team's like, no, then then you know you're not really negotiating either. <laughs> right. I was about to bring that same point up. That's when you start getting into the art of negotiating. You can't just be flat on your on your asking price. I mean, even with the Duchesne deal, Sackick did move in a different direction than what was perceived to be out there. And it turned out to be just the hole that he ended up getting. And that's one of the things that we on the other side of the, uh, of the, you know, the, the door, the, uh, the front office door don't get to see how all of these discussions about how much is this guy worth? What do we perceive him as value versus what does uh, unknown GM in the Eastern conference, let's say in uh, Raleigh, might. <laughs> Do you think there's a certain defenseman we might be able to pry away for, for him? Not, not anybody specifically. Right. What's that, Mr. GM? Oh, you like your guys too. Hey, we've got that in common. Nice chatting with you. We all like our guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, right, you, you, don't, you don't know because you don't know the offers. You don't know because you don't know what's close, what's not. But at the end of the day, some GMs make it happen and others make less happen. And, you know, we're, we can draw our own conclusions, but, you know, at we're the end the of jets, the day... We're not the Jets, you know? <laughs> yeah, we do make trades. No Chevy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that guy likes their to get guys. That guy's managed to get picked somehow. He has. Yeah. And the, and the what jets trade a year, but it's a good one. <laughs> the, the Jets are actually good, finally, but nobody likes their guys more than Kevin Sheveldayoff, that's for sure. You want to talk quality over quantity? That is your man. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have an AHL team full of young guys, so it must have happened somehow. It's almost like they have a good foster organization to build their prospects. <laughs> I'm pretty sure those are a myth, so I'm going to say doubtful. <laughs> I've never seen any evidence that that exists. Because I'm an Avalanche fan. And I'm not that's very... True. So, um, that's a lot of talking about what we want the organization to do at the deadline. What, what do you want to see the team do with the rest of the season? They've got just a devastating schedule ahead of them. Um, as we have been, we've, we've kind of talked about the death march through the spring all season long, and it feels like we're hyping up like this mythical event that's going to really put these guys through the ringer, and that's because it is. Um, they, they go on the road for, to close out January after the, and, and then after All-Star, they play in February, they play 5, 8, 12, 14 games which I'm no mathematician, but I believe that February has 28 days, so that would be every other day. And then in March, they play every other day, except for the one time they have two days off, and then play back-to-back later that week. So, And it's true, yeah. Maybe, maybe we make too much about them playing so much because they did really well in this stretch where they played every other day. So in a way, maybe that helps them, but... But yeah, it just seems like a crazy amount of games, especially if they get an injury or two. But 
to answer your question, I'd like to see 90 at this point. And I don't care if that's playoffs or not. 90 probably wouldn't be. Because I, I go back to what I said earlier. I It would be fun, but I honestly, I don't think they need to be in the playoffs this year. And, <laughs> yeah, I don't think, yeah. So, ni- 90 would be, like, respectability. 90 would be, like, not just, oh, good job, you're not terrible anymore. 90 would be, like, they took the next step and they're they're ready to take an, another step next year. I think you're like just a hair high. I'm going to say 500 on the whole back half of the season, which would put us at 89 points, um, would be fantastic. A- anything above 85, I think the Avs had a great second half and are put themselves in a great position to move on to next year and really compete for a playoff spot. If the uh, games are exact- competitive, regardless yeah. of what the final outcome is, if they're not just packing it in, I want to see that. Just that now it's January. Oh, and we had the whole much ballyhooed statement by a former member of this team who packed it in at this time of the year. I don't want to see that. I want to see this team continue to build on what it's already done. So far, they're showing that, showing me that, and I think that's that's great. It's just, can they maintain it? I want to see them maintain it. Oh, sure. I, I think the bar is higher now. Like, we're not just not be terrible, show some signs of life. Like, I do think the bar is higher now, where they need to to have a good second half. Like, you know, eighty would be okay, but at this point, anything less than eighty would be disappointment. Mine ties into basically all of these, and the main thing I want to see is not just for the Avs, but for the whole league, is to keep up the scoring that we've seen so far this year. And, you know, that makes the games more interesting. That keeps the Avs on their way over 250-goal pace that I love to see. And wherever the points end up for the Avs in that scenario, I think it's fine. I mean, if they're at 80, that's great. If 90, great. If they make the playoffs, even better. But you know, I, I just I really think it's important for these guys to get used to scoring goals and and just sort of making that, you know, it sounds silly, but it making it a daily habit. You know, you go out there and you know you're gonna score three or four goals. That's just you know, that that's so much better than averaging two goals per game. And oh, yeah. I, I think it'll make them a much better team when it really matters in the seasons that follow. And then when that goal output doesn't happen when you have a situation like 7-0 Vegas, then your pride is on the line when you come out the next game and have to spank somebody to make up for it. Yeah, you know you can, you know, if you if you get blanked in a game like that, you're like, you know what, that doesn't matter because we can come out and score five this next one because we're good. And you have, and But there's still that, that bug in the back of your head that's like, that's not me and y'all aren't about to think that's me either. Yeah. We're going to show you otherwise. Yeah, I agree. A lot of it does hinge on just scoring. Just that, that was my thing. I wanted to see goals this year. And I do think that drives it. That drives the motivation, uh, the, the pride, just the momentum, everything. So, so yeah, I mean, can they score quite at the clip that they've been at? What would you say? Are they on pace for two? What are they on pace for? 270. That, I mean, that's, That'd be quite something. That's a lot to ask from today's NHL, I know. But I I think 250 is is reasonable if the way the league is playing this year, which is subtly different from the past couple of years, 
if that yeah. is continuing. You know, I, I think a lot of it depends on whether, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly why that is. It's not all power play goals. It really isn't. It's a lot of 5v5 scoring, too. So if whatever is making this scoring explosion uh, is is sustainable over the rest of the season, I, I think that's great for the Avs. I think it's great for the whole league, too. Well, it's it's the penalty calling a little bit there, right? Like, yes, yeah, I mean, I think there's some goals, fear of penalties. Right, yeah, there's exactly. fear of penalties in there too. So, I mean, more it, it's, than no slashing. That, just... That's what I think it is: is the slashing. I think everybody isn't playing yeah. with their broken fingers. Exactly. I, I think you know what they started out doing at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, it, it made it harder to play defense in a goony way. So it's benefiting some teams, and you're seeing teams that slashed everybody, like the Penguins, do crappy. Um, so it, you know, whatever the effects are from that, and and, and I think it's, you know, I, I think there's a lot more going on than just the slashing. I think that's sort of, you know, multiplied into several other areas. Um, but it, it it just makes the the league as a whole a lot more fun to watch. Um, I think that. I want to like what what my what I want to say is that I want to see eighty five points. If that's my expectation, but I also don't want to say a point total because, I mean, it's kind of like kind of the same direction that Vlad's coming from. Because how many times have we said this year this isn't a result season? The results are icing. This is a process season. So, oh sure, yeah, I agree with that too. Like nobody wants to see goalie stealing wins, and I mean, yeah, it'd be nice nice for Barley or Bernie or. Who- you know, whoever's doing the stealing, but we, we don't want to just fluke into points and wins and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, if it's 80 points, but it's a whole, a whole lot of gains in other areas, then you take that more than maybe some, some more momentum driven wins that maybe aren't as sustainable. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to see them change the style of the play that they've been doing lately. Um, because they think it gives them a better chance to win. Like, you know, I, I'd hate to see them go back to, you know, the collapse Rama just because they think they need to do that to get an extra two or three points at the end of the season to maybe make a playoff spot. You know, I, I think they really need to play the way that they've been playing. And wherever that takes them, it's, you know, it's already a win. And I still think they need to do the next step of increasing minutes of like Gerard and Jost and bring bring in Greer and you know like keep doing the plan I'd hate to see them just like clutch to the vets play them more and more and more like that that's counterproductive too and yeah you know I know everybody wants to win but if I'm Joe Sackick I'm going to Jared Bednar after the first half of the season and going your job is 100% safe so like you don't have to worry about making the playoffs yeah like I mean, we don't, we don't need the defensive systems that you think might eke us out a win or two. Is what I'm trying to get at. Right. We we need long term success, not success this year. And if you if you've been trying to think about short term success for your own job stability, do not. And maybe yeah, they were doing goal that. scoring. More goal scoring, yeah. less hamburgling. Yeah. I think they were doing that a little bit <laughs> when they were losing when they lost that four in a row and they didn't have the great home stand. I think they did kind of start inching closer to defaulting to the vets. And that's when they start playing Gerard less. And like, I get it. Like coaches are there to win. And that's what you ask the, the guy to do is, is get this collection of individuals to win. But 
So I do think coaches, even if you told him his job's safe, I mean, it's his reputation. Like, he's there to win games. And so I think they, they do start kind of, like, inching towards the vets when things aren't going as well. And that's what I'd like to not see. Yeah, and, and that's a fair point, too. I mean, he is a rookie coach, and he's not Mike Babcock, who can walk into a new team and say, you know, there's going to be some pain. And everyone's like, yeah, okay, I I agree with you because you're Mike Babcock. You have the gravitas to make that decision. If, if Bednar comes out and says there's going to be pain, we're like, we didn't pull in a new coach for pain. <laughs> <laughs> right, like, he can't have a collapse. Like... He's he's made a lot of gains, but he also he also hasn't gained so much that if they just have a horrible second half, that he could survive that. It, yeah. They still got to show some progress. Yeah, but I think the the evolution of Jared Bednar as a coach. I think his first thing that he really wanted to do, starting out last year, and it obviously didn't work very well was to solidify the defense. And I, I think he believes that offense plays off of the defense, but he really wants to see scoring above else along with all of us. So I, I, I think he's committed to not trying to uh, low event or clog the, his way out of problems like that. I, I think, you know, when all is said and done, he really wants to see games that are 4-3 rather than 2-1. And I think so. to his credit, he has been rookie friendly. Like, it's not easy. I think a whole lot of other coaches, if you told him he would address nine rookies already in the first half of the season, would have just been like, yeah, no thanks. Yeah. I, I think for the most part, he has managed them well. Like, in the second half, I would like to see some of them get bumped up a bit. But he does seem to have the, the stones to actually play those guys, which not every coach would do. I mean, they bend over backwards to find something that, that gets Jost uh, in a productive role. And, and I don't know if any of us would have guessed that, you know, doing something like putting him with Wilson and Bork would, would have a really positive effect, but that worked. So, you know, he was really committed to making sure that Tyson Jost was a, a performing member of the team rather than just the rookie guy that, you know, maybe isn't great this year, but down the line he probably will be. Yeah, like he could have definitely scratched him and done yeah. other things or or maybe the 7d was just so he didn't have to scratch gerard and right and he comes from a development background so i mean like i he gets it more than i think maybe the average nhl coach would would have the patience for so he does deserve credit in that area even if we would like to see a little bit more of it so process goals all around and some of us would like to see some some point numbers, and I'm just really trying to not think that way, and hopefully the team is as well. Yeah, I, I don't want to start the second half on, like, you know, the scoreboard watch every night. I mean, it's it's cool that we all woke up today and they're in a playoff spot, and but, you know, it, it is still about the big picture, and, and if they stay in a spot, that's cool too, but just the whole, like, we're three points away from Chicago. I still think is is like a bit much on a nightly basis. Yeah, the uh, I'll tell you a point thing. I want the, the the point thing I want to see is Nathan McKinnon hit a hundred points. Yeah, <laughs> do it. I guess that's the next question. What do you want to see from him at this point, and what do you think he will do at this point? Ninety. I, that's that's my bar. I think he's got a hundred. He's he's on pace for a hundred and four now, and he's been hot 
I mean, that that's more the last. That that's more a little bit of hotness in November and a lot of hotness lately. So, I he's scoring I, consistently and getting better as the season goes on. I think it's he a, hits one hundred because Rantanen's going to hit seventy five <laughs> or eighty. I think Miko's got a point per game in him. Because that's the thing I've wanted to see is the Az with two seventy point scores on the team. I mean that's yeah. crazy to me because what what was their what has been their high? Wasn't it Duchesne was seventy nine? Isn't there that there? It was something like that, I but think he didn't. So. Yeah, it it wasn't that high, but, but he also didn't play a full eighty two that year, so it was a point a game. Yeah, he was yeah. like 70 points in 71 games or something. Oh, okay. I know that's what it was. I know he was just under point per game. Yeah. So, yeah, so nobody's even really scored more than 70 in this era, I would call it, you know, the... the you yeah, know, I mean, I think we have to go back to, like, the Duke and Sackick days. Probably so. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Sackick was the last 100-point guy. Yeah. So, for me, it's tough to really say, like, you know, more than point per game. I think that's the bar at this point, like the minimum that McKinnon needs needs to hit point per game. But I just know, don't that... think he can help himself. That's just too low for him. <laughs> well when, yeah. he gets, when he gets three points a night, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's gonna rack up quick. Um so are we gonna say yeah. if he just has an assist in one game that he's starting to enter a slump? Yes. <laughs> oh when he when he had the two games in a row he didn't score, there were people saying that he came back to earth <laughs> for real he gets outscored by ty lewis he's a bum <laughs> hey, speaking of ty lewis but you know um <laughs> we totally don't have another podcast coming up the next day after this well guess who's playing right now but are you are um, you guys gonna take a deep dive onto world junior for that Yes, we. Yeah. I guess we should plug that. Yeah, to, on Monday night we're gonna do a World Junior, um, Rampage prospect and Junior prospect podcast. We're gonna, gonna touch all on all three. Yeah, let's let's hit the extremely high points real quickly, such as uh, Connor Timmons assisting on the tournament winning goal, and which we a, which we called. And what a yeah. pass that was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for a second, I thought he had scored it because I didn't see the the tip, and I was just like, I can't believe it because we'd been joking for <laughs> several days that Timmons was going to score the gold medal winning goal, and I was just like, Oh my god, I can't believe that actually happened. I'll I'll say it in public. He's going to score a Stanley Cup winning goal in his career. He's <laughs> hey, the next he, Alec Martinez. Hey, he might have the <laughs> OHL or the Memorial Cup winning goal this year. <laughs> Yeah, he's just got storybook written all over him. He'll probably be on the abs next year. He'll he'll start in the AHL and they'll call him up and he'll have like ten points in four games or something and and never go back. And that story will show up on BSN. That's like, well, they told him to find a house. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, let, and Kale McCarr. We can't forget about him. Why not? Ducharme did. <laughs> oh. Well, the the voters certainly didn't. Yeah, Kale McCarr was on the media voted All Star team from World Junior. At least he fired himself right after the tournament. <laughs> he knew he'd been bad. <laughs> he shot himself into the sun. <laughs> <laughs> 
He finally listened to Ray Ferraro's commentary about him. <laughs> so yeah, this is the part of the show where we usually talk about next week. So let's talk about next week. Uh, Colorado have a bye week next week. They have one game. It's on Saturday in Dallas, and that'll be a late local start, 7 o'clock Mountain on Altitude to the Ocho. I think that's a real classic letdown game, and I am predicting zero points. Yeah. I think that's fair, yeah. It, they played Dallas so much. Like, this is their fifth game against Dallas, and it'll be the last one. But basically to get five games against the same opponent in, in the first half is, is a bit much. If all of the injured, short-term injured players, Varley, Comfort, and Andrigetto back are back, we'll get one point. I'll say victory. I guess that's another question. Do you guys think they'll all be back? Uh, no. I think Sven will be back for sure. Varley, maybe. And I don't think Comfort is actually going to come off the DL for a little while. I think that's fair. I think Varley will play. And... And yeah, Andrew Get- it seems like Andrew Ghetto should be okay. Yeah, that that will they I mean they they said Andrew Ghetto would be back on that day, like as soon as he got hurt. They're like, here's what we're expecting. That the the game after the bye week. So, One thing I'm interested to see is is Dallas has really done a sea change as far as how they play. I mean, they used to be wide open all the time, which would be great for the Avs, because that would be fun. Yeah. Um but but since Hitch is has really um, installed a system. They've gotten really low event and really defensey. And what's interesting over this win streak is the Avs have kind of dictated um, sort of the pace of the game and sort of how the game's played a lot more than I've, I've really ever seen. Um, you know, pretty much, pretty much in the last decade. But um, it'll be interesting to see if the Avs can sort of force their will upon the stars and make them play their way. Or if the stars defense just sort of dictates the whole game. Yeah. Um, whether they win or lose, you know, I, I would take a loss and be happy with it. If the Avs are at least able to, um, you know, force them to play a little more wide open than they'd like. Okay. I can, I can handle that perspective. So, Whoever ends up imposing their will on that game, you know, you'll be able to find out here. And plus next week, I think we're going to take a, a little bit of look away from the Colorado Avalanche because there's not really anything happening for the Colorado Avalanche next week. So we'll be having a look around the league and seeing if we can find any interesting success stories that don't make any sense. Let us know if you can think of any and uh, if if they happen in like new environments or anything like that. And We'll see what we can what we can come up with for next week without any Avalanche hockey games. You can always catch the latest podcast on SoundCloud.com slash Burgundy Radio or on MixCloud.com slash Burgundy Radio on iTunes, on Google Play Music, on your favorite RSS catcher. Um, you can always find the latest episodes posted at BurgundyRainbow.com. You can yell at us there. You can chat show on the Discord and at Twitter and at any any other way that you know of to get a hold of me, Carrier Pigeon, whatever. It's all good. And we're on Google Play now. I, I did say that. That's the best part. Keep <laughs> 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 um, your head up in dirty areas and all that stuff, and we'll see you next week.
wonder if Rudo's muted on purpose. Yeah, I mute it whenever I take a bite of something. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, sometimes, you, sometimes buttons just get hit, so I just wanted to check and make sure. All right, I'm going to hit the button.